Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Central Lutheran Church's Youth Devotional. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles and crochet hook and join us. But first, let us introduce ourselves. I'm Dawn Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. And my guest today is... And I'm Deacon Bonnie Beatles Bowling. been a member at Central for 15 years, and I'm currently called to be Central's Deacon of Faith Formation and Community Engagement. Okay, I'm going to start with a basic question. I know we've done podcasts on what a deacon is, but can you give me a brief overview of what being a deacon means? What kind of stuff do you do? Sure. Uh, So the ELCA has two rosters, and rosters are simply that. They are lists, lists of ordained folks who serve in specific roles for the church. And so one roster is the roster of word and sacrament, and that is the roster people like Pastor Amanda are on. And they are called typically to serve into a congregation, and they preach the word and teach the word and administer the sacraments. The other roster is word and service, and that's the roster deacons are on. That's the roster I'm on. And we are called not so much to serve directly solely into a congregation, but at the intersection of the church and the world. So our description of our work is that we are to bring the cares of the world to the church, to keep the church informed, and to bring the love of the church to the world that the world might know that the church is invested in it. Excellent. Yeah. The focus is on service, on prophetic preaching. Not that pastors aren't prophetic, but there is a specific part of our call and in our vows that ask us to be that challenging voice to what can at times be a complacent church and to help folks live out their vocation. Because if the pastor's vocation is a call to serve into the church and the deacon's vocation is a call to serve at the intersection between the church and the world, the layperson's vocation because according to Luther, we all have one, is to love Christ and serve the neighbor out in the world. And so we're the bridge. We try to help that happen. Excellent. So this youth devotional that you have come up with, with other people at the church, what gave you the idea for it? Well, we have been trying to think about how we will stay engaged with our young families uh, as the world has shifted and changed during the pandemic, particularly away from gathering in person. Sure. How do you engage five-year-olds when you can't bring them together in a room? So this came about specifically because of the whole churches being closed during the pandemic. Or had you had something similar in mind before all that happened? No, not a paper-based analog take home and do this devotional. As I said, I'm fairly new to this call, but I've been with this congregation a long time and have had lots of dreams and hopes about what engagement with our youth looks like. None of those dreams and hopes were formulated in light of a pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Few things were formulated in light of the pandemic recently. Yes. So uh, it was a new challenge. When the state was given stay-at-home orders, Pastor Amanda immediately put in place an evening compline with the young families where she would be available 
online, I think every night of the week in the beginning to meet with young families via Zoom and spend time staying connected. And then that circle expanded to include Miss Joellen, who has been there sort of Sunday school teacher. And then really about four weeks into doing that, it was clear that there were shifts and we were looking for something more. Part of what was signaling to us four to six weeks into the pandemic was school had started back up and families were already feeling Zoomed out. Oh, Um, that's real. Yeah. So I already had to get my kid through one to six hours of Zoom class today. Nobody wants to come to Compline tonight. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that was one piece. And then I would describe what those initial Compline meetings were, really was a touchstone, particularly for young kids, about where's God and where's my community? Because the whole world just went upside down. Sure. I don't go to school anymore. I don't see my friends anymore. I don't know what day it is anymore. Uh-huh. Time um, is somewhat irrelevant, even more yeah. so than it was as a young kid. Yeah. And so how, you know, how can we be with our young families, particularly our young kids, and let them know, even now, God loves you and your church loves you, no matter what, pandemic included. And that reassurance, you know, this is just my observation from being on those Zoom calls. I think that reassurance was really needed and really helpful. That's relatively traumatizing to have your whole world shift for many of us as adults, but especially if you're nine sure, or younger. So as people adjusted to this kind of new normal, then the question became not just how do we let the families know that we care about them, how do we let the kids know their church is still investing in them, that God loves them, but also I actually feel passionately about faith formation. My graduate degree is in pastoral ministry, and the classes, some of the classes that intrigued me the most were on faith formation. I happen to be a lifelong Lutheran whose church and faith life has always been very important to her and been a gift when things in my life were challenging. And so I'm excited about faith formation at all ages. And as an organizer, I have a lot of experience and interest in helping folks, say 16 and up, put their faith into action for the common good. And that's a lot of what faith formation ends up looking like for me for us as adults. It's how are we being shaped? And then in turn, using that to shape. How are we shaped shapers? Letting our faith and God shape us so that we can shape the world. So that's kind of how I think about faith formation for older folks. But then with our youth, one of the things I'm grateful for is that even though I grew up in a tiny town, I feel like I had a really rigorous religious education through my little church. You know, those were some really hardcore, dedicated Sunday school teachers. Sure. We did vacation Bible school. As soon as I was confirmed, I was teaching Sunday school. I was teaching vacation Bible school. I was a camp counselor at a Lutheran camp for two years. And what I feel like that gave me is sort of two things. One is just what I would call cultural or biblical literacy. Even if I didn't have passionate feelings about my faith and faith tradition, 
there are just things that I know what they are when they're referred to. That, that is a large people... part of what I wanted for my kids. I felt they yeah. needed, right? I want them to know what Easter and Christmas and all the other adjacent things mean, just so they have that literacy at their fingertips. Exactly. So that literacy, you know, I felt like was hardwired into me through a thousand Sunday school lessons. And that has some value, especially as a place to build from. And that's the other piece is wanting to help kids have that literacy and then wanting them to have that scaffolding or those file cabinets so that as you gain information and experiences and emotions and insights, you have a set of tools to work with it through. So if no one's ever talked to you about prayer and you have this sense of overwhelm or this sense of amazing joy or this sense of any of those things that can lead our hearts to want to leap forward towards something bigger than us, which to me is sort of one description of prayer, is it is just knowing that there is a horizon beyond ourselves. And whether we're calling out to that to change the moment we're in or we're calling out to that in sheer awe and wonder because we're seeing Crater Lake for the first time. It's a human instinct to reach to that larger horizon beyond ourselves. And our faith traditions are part of how we shape and name and understand that. And so what are the file cabinets and the scaffolding we're putting in place for our kids so that they can do meaning making for their whole lives? How do I think about these things? How do I understand these things? And From my own personal faith point of view and the faith lifted up by this congregation, how am I shaped by and how do I shape the world by believing that I am deeply loved by God? And so are you. That's the foundational theological groundwork that we're laying with these kids is that God loves you no matter what. And that that applies to all of creation. How does that shape a person over time? In my own life, it led to my resilience under pressure. It led to my ability to have hope at times when it felt like there wasn't any. And it has stopped me from seeing my neighbor only through my own eyes when I'm invited by God to see them differently. I'm thankful for that. So in thinking about what is our responsibility to the youth of our congregation to not only continue to tell them God is with you, even in this weird time, but to then start giving them resources and scaffolding to continue building forward. Now, these kids don't have two years to put on pause in their psychological, theological development, where we just say, well, we'll get back to you about God on the other side of COVID because we only know how to do it one way. Yeah. When there's a vaccine available, we'll resume all services and resources. Yeah. So God is with them now. And we are with them now. So that was really the impetus for starting to look for something more. One of the places my mind went first was about worship. We noticed that for a lot of our young families, they were not coming to relatively early morning online worship on Sunday morning, which to me as a person with young kids who were also trying to do school from home and all of those things made perfect sense. Sure. My house, there's a whole lot of let sleeping dogs lie right now. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So I think one of the first proposals I threw out there to the young families was, what do you all think about trying to have a kid-focused, youth-designed kind of expansion of Compline to a a once-a-week worship service? 
one of the primary things we heard back was, please don't give us anything based on technology. <laughs> we were screened out. Yep. I don't want any more screen time for my kid. I also don't want any more assignments. Let me ask you one quick question. What ages are we talking here? Pre-confirmation okay. was really the wide net. Was anyone from our littlest littles to the ones that, you know, are not in our current confirmation group. Okay. And so that's, that's Roughly what we were asking preschoolish about. to middle schoolish. Yep. Okay. That's a really big. It's a wide net. Yeah. That's a really big set of developmental needs. It's a lot to try to figure out how to support, especially in an environment that is completely unfamiliar, but it's also completely liberating. There's no, you have to do it the way we've always done it because nobody has always done it in 2020 in a pandemic. No. So did you go back to any sort of Sunday school books or models, or did you just pick it from scratch what you decided to put in this devotional? We looked at online materials and sort of used them as a place to start talking and then sort of took all of that and said, yes, having a daily devotional type of format, something that one really could go through for four weeks and say, day one, day two, would be helpful with structure in a world where no one knows what day it is anymore. Mm -hmm. In a world where start and stop are really blurry boundaries right now, and those are important boundaries for kids. I don't know about you, but I'm getting up later and later every day because I don't have a hard start where I want to walk in my office door at 8.30 anymore. My office door is my living room. Maybe I'll be drinking coffee at 9.15. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so kids, you know, have that need for structure. So we wanted structure that was also flexible enough that if you got the packet and you didn't do anything for two weeks, you hadn't missed anything. You were not going to fall behind. No, it's not like even more of the homework because, of course, <laughs> we launched algebra. this. Yes, we launched all this at the same time kids were doing online homeschooling and parents were also trying to work from home whilst having kids do homeschooling and all of that. So design-wise, things that were important, families very clearly asked for an analog-based interaction. Please don't have us go Google stuff don't have us play videos, don't have us download stuff. And so we thought it was really important to drop off. I'm going to use the word product because I don't have a better word. No, but you're talking but it, something tangible, right? Something you can hold in yes. your hand. So it was really important that we designed something that was as accessible as possible to a very early reader. That if you're first grader or second grader got the packet from you at the door after we dropped it off on the front step like the delivery man mm -hmm. and you handed it to them and walked away that they could still access this that it would still be useful to them which means thinking about the way you use language and the level at which things are written it means focusing a lot on the imagery that you use means making sure that you have picked activities that don't necessarily need adult supervision or even a playmate. Sure. So I give a ton of credit to Joellen and Vicky 
Joellen is the woman who has been our early youth person for, I think, like five years here at Central. Could be longer. Mm -hmm. She's super creative. She, you know, as an actress, is really able to imagine how to embody things, which is great with kids. And so the activities she's writing are very imaginative, creative. She tries very hard to lift up past experiences that she's had with these kids, past activities that they did in person and incorporate that in so that there is this through line, that there is this continuity. So that's in there. And then Vicki, who is our office admin and building use facilitator, has done just a beautiful job making it readable, attractive, accessible. And I think those go a long way to being able to put them in the hands of someone like my nine-year-old and say, here, go do this for half an hour. Mm -hmm. So we designed it to have an overall theme, and our first theme was creation. And so we took the two creation stories, and we were covering, I think, three weeks. And so we took the most familiar creation story, the seven days, and broke that down across three weeks. And then over the last week, we also covered the second creation story from Genesis. And then for each day looking at the verses that were in that week, Joellen designed activities around movement. So if it was about water, an activity that might talk about, can you move like water? Or what does the wind move like? That sort of thing. Seek. So if you were talking about things in creation, sending people on either inside your house or in your yard or on a family walk, can you look for these things? Connect is usually about being in conversation with someone, whether it's your parents or maybe you can talk to a grandparent. And then the pray piece is we've been writing prayers, just very brief prayers for the end of each of those days. And those prayers echo the way that they have been taught over the last five years to pray during the children's messages on Sundays. So loving God, thank you for loving us. And then just some lines that go along with the theme for the day. Sure. To help them, again, have that scaffolding, that interior practice of, well, what is prayer and how do I do prayer? What are some familiar words that can help me start prayer? Do these come out weekly? They sound like they come out monthly. Yeah. May was the psalm. And we started with the psalms because the psalms are all about emotion. And kids were having so many challenging feelings at the onset of the pandemic. It's really exciting. I'm off of school all of a sudden, early summer vacation. I'm really angry and frustrated. I can't go see my friends or do my favorite activities. I am super sad. I can't hug my grandma. All of these feelings. And so how do you talk about God being with you in the midst of all of your feelings? and that your feelings are a gift to you from God, and that God knows your feelings, and God isn't afraid of your feelings, and God is with you in your feelings, and you can talk to God about your feelings. And there's this whole middle section of the Bible that's all about our feelings. Some of it is song, some of it is prayer, some of it is angry rants, but it's all there in the Psalms. And so we taught them three Psalms, we covered three weeks, we picked out the main themology, the main feeling picture words, and work with them around move, seek, create, connect, and using the Psalms for that. 
And then moving into June and spring is bursting forth and people are coming out of their houses. That's when we moved into creation. July's theme came out of an experience I had with my daughter. The beginning of June, sorry, the end of May and the beginning of June were the beginning of the unrest around police violence and Black Lives Matter. Sure. And lots of families were engaging with those challenging questions and with how do you have conversations with your kids around race? How do you support your kids in engaging social justice action in a pandemic? All of these things are going on. So that's the whole setting. And my daughter took a bath and came out wrapped up in a big towel and said, hey, mom, I look like Jesus. And I looked at her and I said, well, honey, not so much. <laughs> and she was like, huh? And I was like, well, Jesus was a little brown boy and you're a little white girl. And she looked at me so confused and I was so convicted. Mm -hmm. How, how, how are you nine and you're in our house where God and Jesus come up a lot because it's a part of my job and it's just who we are it's mm -hmm. just a thing and she's got white jesus in her mind and i was just like oh no i like immediately texted amanda and was like i have to tell you what just happened we have to fix this what have we done because i also felt convicted on the collective level sure right my child was baptized at central all of her faith formation collectively has pretty much happened there. Well, you're it was fighting like, Western art for many, many <laughs> centuries, my friend. Don't feel too bad about this because we're yes. all complicit. Yes. Like I can understand looking back at my Norwegian Midwestern upbringing and understand why I saw white Jesus. Because literally when I look through pictures of Jesus and art related to Jesus, everything that I can remember seeing where I'm like, oh yeah, my grandparents had that picture. This was my favorite picture of Jesus at the summer camp I taught at. This was the picture of Jesus in the front of our sanctuary. They really are all white Jesus. They all are. I've been through art history classes and I'm telling you for centuries, that's what you get. Yeah. But as I thought about race at Central, we don't have white Jesus at Central. No. We have a brown Jesus, one. And actually, Pastor Amanda couldn't even think of that one when I was like, well, you know, on the Latin American cross, the processional cross. But in our efforts to not have images, we've failed to have been any images. Sure. And what do you default to? You always default to the dominant culture. And so my little girl pictured Jesus as white and was quite surprised when I said, you know. Let's consider where the stories are coming from. Yes. And so we talked about that. What does it mean? I just explained to her that Jesus was a brown boy born in an occupied land. He didn't have money or wealth or power. He wasn't the same race as the people who got to make decisions. And of course, this is all unfolding in the middle of 20 days of street Black protests. Matter protests, yep. Yeah. I can't remember what the pause in the conversation was, but then she looked at me and in all seriousness said, so I suppose this is when you tell me God is black. And I was like, well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> it is. A, a big one. Yes, yes. But at least, you know, Jesus, we lift up as a historical figure with a specific sure. context and time and place. It's not up to interpretation. So that was the impetus for what are we going to do in our next devotional that not only makes sure that our imagery isn't absent, but that it's actively present 
and actively anti-racist. So to make sure we're not racist, we just won't be anything. There's nothing here because we don't want to be racist. Mm -hmm. But that's not actively anti-racist to say, let's have a broader picture. So Vicky did some great work. We all did some looking around for sourcing different images and making sure that we sourced them in appropriate ways. So if these were images of a brown Jesus or biblical stories told with different imagery than we've usually used, could we get those from artists of color and could we pay them for their work? Sure. So how could we, who happen to be four white women with integrity, try to put together a devotional for the youth of Central that actually looked at this question of race and privilege when I would guess 90% of those youth are also white and in middle-class homes. Sure. So wanting to do something that had integrity and not set our kids up for more moments of, hey, wait, what do you mean Jesus wasn't white? To be fair, this is something that should have been addressed a long time ago. (laughs) But the fact that we're at least doing something now, that's a good thing. Yeah. So our scripture, like I said, each time we've centered it in scripture, because that's, again, one of those filing cabinets, is that we're the people of the book. That's one of those scaffolding pieces, is that when these kids are 30, even if they aren't Christian, and certainly if they aren't Lutheran, I would like them to have some sense of what it means to be Christian, and to have a diverse view of that. And so for them to know, you know, these are our stories, and they come out of this book. And there are ways in which our particular denomination uses this book and views this book, specifically that we always read through the lens that God loves you and all of creation. And whenever you hear someone turn the story in a way that contradicts that, more work needs to be done. Would you recommend this for any other churches who are looking for some similar material? Totally. As far as any other Christian churches, I mean, it's definitely Christian. It uses both uh, Hebrew Testament and New Testament scriptures. It is not liturgical, so we haven't taken to teaching about the liturgy or Lutheran tradition or Luther or any of those things. It's really, we take a scripture basis and we take the lens that God created creation and said it is good, that God loves all of creation, and that God has gifted us with minds and bodies that we can use to love and serve the neighbor. So that's really the flavor, the overarching themes that show up, whether it was in starting in the Psalms or whether it was in talking about how can understanding the Magnificat and understanding that Jesus was born to an unwed woman in an occupied country as a person with brown skin, and his mother sang to him about sending the rich away hungry and giving the poor good food. How can knowing that that's your God shape how you try to understand the world when you see nightly marches on your TV? Same daughter, different conversation. Also on the way to church, maybe four or five years ago, she had just learned to read. And it was one of those days where you're like, I am just trying to get to church. Um, (laughs) We're driving along and she sees a yard sign that says Black Lives Matter. She's five seat behind me. What does that mean? Oh, honey. Yep. Big discussion. Yep. What that means is that in our country, we have treated people with black and brown bodies vastly differently than we treat people with white bodies. 
and we treat them like they're disposable. And then we talk about what disposable means. And we treat them like they're here to make things for us. And then I touched on, and the reason people have Black Lives Matter sign in their yard is because we're really worried about how people with power, like the police, are treating those Black bodies. And then we went from that to something about a school shooting on the radio, and I turned things off and was just like, we're just, <laughs> we just need to go to church. It's too hard. <sighs> so what kind of feedback are you getting from these? It's a little challenging because parents have been very honest about their sense of overwhelm, overload, over-engagement, and I totally get it. My wife and I both work full-time right now from home, 15-year-old mm -hmm. and a 9-year-old trying to do online school. It can feel just absolutely chaotic. And then you add just that the pandemic has made all of life hard. an endless series of, yeah, just decision hard. fatigue. Mm -hmm. Nothing happens on autopilot anymore. Everything is a new set of decisions. So when families say, that all sounds great, and then you check in with them three weeks later and they're like, to tell you the truth, I haven't looked at it, the answer is, that's really okay. Not everyone is giving that answer. And some people are like, we looked at the first packet and we're totally engaged. And then school got out and we could be outside and we haven't come back in. All of that is absolutely legitimate. These are not assignments. These are resources. And so it's our attempt to give a tool to participate in faith formation, to ask questions about what families would find helpful and useful, and then try to create that. And knowing that just like all of us right now aren't really sure what's going to work until we're doing it, some things sound great and then they don't work out the way you thought, grocery delivery and other things sound like, why would I ever want that? And now you have it and you don't ever want to let it go, no matter what happens with COVID, grocery delivery. Uh -huh. It's just different for different people. And so we're trying really hard to listen, to ask kind of hard questions for the church setting because people just really want to be nice. And I don't mean that in a dismissive way. People make an effort to take care of each other and be good to one another, especially when things are hard. So they don't want to tell you, I can see how hard you worked on this and we're not doing it. But I really want to tell them, it's okay to tell us you're not doing it. Because what we'll do is we'll shift our energy and try to find something more accessible. I'm really trying to view this not through a success or failure lens, but through an accessibility lens. Right now, these families have a challenge around accessing faith formation through their church. The old systems are not there. There isn't a nice little map about new systems. How will we make this accessible to them so that when they want it or when they have time for it or when the energy is there, they can access it? And for me, that's a really helpful lens because I've spent the last 25 years working on accessibility, working with people who are considered disabled or whose bodies and minds just don't work the same way as the rest of us. And instead of looking at it and saying, well, that doesn't work then, it's just saying, well, what does accessibility look like for you? If everybody else has X and you have Y, what does accessibility look like for you? Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of the same question in my heart is how do we make it easy to access the love of God and the care of your faith community, even when conditions can leave you feeling isolated and cut off? I think it's a brilliant way to look at it. I'm deeply impressed. <laughs> okay, my last question to you is this. Do you have a favorite part of it so far, what you've put out there or what you've heard back? 
because I am new to the ministry team, being able to have this be one of the first things we're doing, this collaborative process between Joellen and Vicki and Pastor and I, and the conversations that have unfolded around faith and around the young families that we all passionately love, that in itself has been formational just for me. Those conversations are shaping me. And I believe that the way they're shaping me are allowing me to shape the world, which is part of what I believe we're called to do. As Christians, we're supposed to leave a mark. (laughs) That is wonderful. Well, thank you, Deacon Bonnie, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Central's Youth Devotional. We will put a link to it on our website and make sure that everybody who wants to see it has access. Thank you to everyone listening. You can find us on iTunes or Facebook or at centralportland.org. You can also email us at podcast at centralportland.org. And until next time, remember, God loves you no matter what.